Microphone is nice and loud this morning. Uh, for some reason, hotter than usual. There we go. It's a little bit better sounding now. Okay. Um, we are in the fourth chapter of the book of John. So if you're following along in your own Bible, it is there uh, where we will be camped. Uh, we started yesterday, looked at a, a big chunk of this, but there are uh, many other aspects of this particular chapter that I really felt that we need to dig into and look at and give consideration to. I see what's going on. There we go. And um, so we are returning back to this chapter again for a second time today uh, just to pull out some more of the highlights that uh, that we can find here. I'm 
I'm going to go back up to verse uh, 16, where Jesus tells this woman, he said, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. In fact, uh, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. Words we consider yesterday, and uh, to which this woman responds in verse 19, Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. I mean, she was uh, had incredible insight here, being able to tell he was a prophet. I mean, he, they had never met before. He wasn't from the area, so how would he know these things about her? I mean, they lived in uh, geographic areas where, where they kind of knew who people were, uh, and so he was new to her. Uh, and she says, I can see that you are a prophet. Now, the fact that he deals with her uh, as he does just indicates uh, the love of God for people. He could have said, nah, I'm going to stay away from this woman because this woman is uh, tainted, and I don't want to taint my reputation by talking to such a woman as this. But the gospel is for all. The gospel is for sinners. The gospel is for people in need of salvation. The gospel is for people in need of deliverance. And so often, sometimes what we begin to act like is the gospel's for good people. No, the gospel is for all people, and the gospel is especially for people in in a situation like what this woman was in uh, in this particular chapter. And um, as we... As we think about this woman and her circumstance, um, she was perhaps deeply wounded. She was perhaps uh, deeply troubled. She perhaps was a a woman who uh, had pain in her life, pain in her being, and... uh, what happened with all these husbands? We don't know the background. We don't know, was she a divorced woman numerous times? We don't know if her husbands had all passed. We don't know if it was some combination of these things. Uh, and often we're, we're so quick to judge. But put yourself in the shoes of a person like this woman for just a moment. Because sometimes it becomes quite easy for us to become kind of judgmental. Well, you know, she walked with God, well then, well, live with the loneliness, friend. Live with the loss. Live with the desperation. Uh, Live thinking of of somebody perhaps who is older and is thinking, look, I'm not going to reconnect. I'm not going to get remarried. Think of the loneliness. I, I just, I want us to think for a moment about this woman. Now, I'm not trying to justify her in, in any way. Uh, other than to say the, the the pain of humanity can be quite deep, and, and it's something that I think we need to give consideration to. We're, we're very quick to give uh, answers and input uh, to uh, the ways that we think people ought to be, uh, and yet 
oftentimes we don't take the time to learn their story. You have a story. I have a story. There, there are some of you uh, that I've been around, and you know, I, I think of one person in particular. I said, I really don't know your story. And, I mean, if we would just learn to ask that question with people, tell me your story. What's your story? I, I, I think that things within church life veracity will change because we need to get to know each other better. And I know that there are people who say, look, I don't like all the social. We got to talk to people. Yep, you do. Why? Because we're called to be a body of believers. And, and just like this woman, she had a story. She had heartache. She had heartbreak. She had pain. Perhaps her pain led her to a place of maybe making some some not so great decisions, possibly. We don't know. All we know is that she had five husbands and now she's with another man. Uh, we know that that because of her circumstance, she would come out to the the well when when there were likely not to be many other people, if any other people out there at the well, because she is perhaps uh, has a diminished self-view. Now, you know, I, I'm not all about making sure that we have, you know, this great self-view and image. It's all about me. It's, it's about Jesus. But on the other side of the equation, we do also need to realize the importance of self-worth and the importance of of a sense of, of, of confidence, self-confidence, of competence, of, of feeling good about self. Those aren't bad things. Uh, and sometimes in our reactions to people who make that the focus of their gospel preaching, we lay the things aside that, that can't be laid aside, like this woman's situation. I think we have to be very careful uh, in, in our overreactions. Uh, we saw it in the 1970s, an overreaction to, uh, to, to the charismatic movement uh, by those who are Baptistic or Reformed or non-charismatic, almost to the tune of the exclusion of the Holy Spirit. We saw that. Uh, and uh, sometimes what we can see also in, in our uh, overreaction to those whose gospel is, is very much focused on uh, self-help and self-improvement and self-image and be all that you can be in some of those things, uh, sometimes we overreact, and we need to realize that part of the gospel is that Christ makes people into a new creation. He he changes people's lives. He, yes, he, he forms us in the image of Christ, but who wants to feel bad about themselves? You know, and we've we've had some uh, response here. It is very lonely being without someone. Friends, we need to be sensitive to those realities, and I'm just thinking of this woman. I, I, again, I, I'm not trying to justify if she was living with this man. I'm not saying that that was the right thing to do. Implication here that, that perhaps it wasn't at all the right thing. I mean, Jesus doesn't come right out and call her on it. He just says, the woman that you now have, I mean, the, the, the man that you now have uh, is not your husband. And in the language of that, the man you now have means that they were in some deep relationship, perhaps not married, uh, and perhaps something that was not something that would be favorable to the Lord. 
Yet Jesus knew her story, and Jesus had this, what we called yesterday, divine appointment with this woman. So before we go overboard and and uh, forget the fact that we need to know uh, know someone's story, uh, we just need to come back and we need to know someone's story. It's important, you know, and to the point the gospel should focus on Christ, not us. Well, it would seem to me that the focus of the gospel was on us because that's why Christ came for us. So even there, we we can overstate that uh, Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief. That's what Paul said uh, in First Timothy. He calls himself the chief uh, of uh, uh, of uh, sinners, uh, chief among sinners. And so the gospel is for people to deliver people from uh, eternal consequence, uh, to deliver people from their own personal prisons into new life in Christ. Uh, it, it isn't one or the other. It is, it is both. Uh, and and yes, it, uh, it should take us uh, into the consideration of who we become in Christ, absolutely. But uh, I, I also think that, that the gospel, uh, when fully impactful in our lives, uh, it, it may lead us actually to a place of, of somber reflection. It might lead us to a place of crying and weeping and repentance. It may do those things but also the gospel ultimately leads to the fullness of life. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. That is a verse. John 10, 10 tells us that reality. And even for this woman, that she would have a new life, find a new life in Christ. So, so it's important that we know people's stories. Sometimes we, uh, there was a very interesting, uh, talk on apologetics that I saw uh, the other day or got to listen in on the other day, uh, and it just talked about how we want to start with the Bible with people who don't even believe the Bible. We need to believe start with God and Jesus and the historicity of uh, of God and of Jesus, and then if we can get to that point, then we say, well, let's, let's talk about the Bible uh, and where it comes, comes from and um, the fact that it's reliable. Uh, we need to think about those things. Um, yes, and I don't disagree. I mean, God has to draw us to himself. Uh, we we can't be saved apart from the work of God in our lives, uh, but, but God works in our lives to draw us to himself um, in our circumstance. Uh he does, and so I, I just want us to come back and remember the the importance of of knowing a person's story. I mean, how many people in the life of of the church, even within this group here, how many people in this group do we know each other's stories? I mean, do you know how how all the people listed in the comment section over here? Do you know how they came to faith in Christ? What do you know of their story? What do you know? What do I know of their background? And that's the thing that I'm I'm trying to impress upon us. I mean, this Jesus obviously knew her story. Jesus obviously knew her situation. Jesus obviously, because he said, I have to go through Samaria, knew he was going to have a divine appointment with this woman. 
And he knew that this woman was going to go to the town and all the town folk were going to come out and hear the story. We need to understand that people have a story. Um, Nell had added this. The more I realize who I am in Christ, the more I walk in the confidence of knowing Jesus loves me and that I'm an okay person uh, than I am to see others with the eyes and heart of Jesus and their worth too. And, and that's exactly what I'm saying, to see people as, as Jesus would see them and to know the story, to know their pain, to know their hurt, to know what they need brought from. And, you know, I, I, I would challenge us. In fact, it, it will be something that will be part of church life in this year. We're, we're in a remaking period uh, in, in many ways. Uh, came from an, an elders, kind of a heavy elders meeting last night in, in some measures, and uh, how do we be the body of Christ? Know each other's stories. This woman had a story, and uh, we all have a story. And so I'm going to present the gospel to somebody to find out their story. Uh, some of you have been uh, stellar evangelists, especially especially in, in the, the late hours of life with people. Some of you have been so good at being able to uh, point others to Christ, to walk people through the valley of the shadow of death. Some of you have done that uh, in, in this last year or so and uh, have done a, a phenomenal job. And some of you uh, regularly on things that you post on Facebook point people uh, even so gently to, to, to God as creator. Uh, and even using the word blessing, may, may, may you have blessing in your life. I mean, how do we point people to Christ? That, that is a little bit of the question that, that I have uh, for us today, but also to know people, to get to know their story. Well, let's continue on in the text and, and see further what it has to say. Um, he, he confronts her about her story. He knows her story, and we need to learn other people's stories. She concludes, your prophet, and then she goes on and says in verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that uh, the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Well, she is partly true uh, and partly correct in what she's saying. I mean, yes, the temple is a place of worship, but we can worship God wherever, in any place. Um, and so Jesus goes on and says to her in verse 21, Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. So now we see Jesus pressing into how we worship. It isn't the location, it's the heart. Uh, it isn't the location, it's the truthfulness. It isn't the location, it, it, it's engaging with the spirit, engaging the spirit with our spirit. It is spiritually engaging with God. God is spirit. Those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. It is not location, it is heart. We can worship God wherever. We can worship God from the dungeon. We can worship God from the prison. 
We can worship God from the mountaintops. We can worship God in the lowest valleys. We can worship God in the highest heights. We can worship God in uh, triumph. We can worship God in tragedy. Uh, We can uh, worship God in delight. We can worship God in disappointment. We can worship God anytime, all the time, anywhere. And, And this is what Jesus is pointing to. And so, even here, now we ask ourselves a second question. I mean, how well do we know a person's story? Do we get to know people? Do we know people in the body of Christ? And uh, in addition to that, uh, the question of worship. What is our worship heart like? What is our worship life like? What what is what does our worship look like? Those are the questions that that I would have that, that I would ask this morning. A time is coming, and now has come, when worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, truth, fear, the kind of worshipers the Spirit seeks. That we would pause, that we would stop uh, and become those worshipers. Uh, As a pastoral leader, uh, yeah, there's the concern for, the the conversation is the organizational concern uh, of the life of a church. But then there's the spiritual concern. Are we helping the people of the church become the people that God wants them to be, or are we doing what we need to do to help the organization be okay? And right now we're in a bumpy spot, actually, realistically, honestly, uh, in in terms of organization uh, and uh, various reasons for that. I'm not going to rehearse all that here. And so conversation among leadership is where's the focus? Our our focus needs to be on developing people as followers of Christ. Bottom line, that's what we're supposed to do, to help people love Jesus. My my role is to help the church love Jesus. And and my role is to help the church, help, help people in the church love others who love Jesus. And my role is to help others in the church Love others who don't know Jesus. That's that's the that's the job. And uh, I mean, we we can be stellar organizationally, but if we miss that mark, uh, we completely miss the game. We completely miss what we're called to do. Do we know people's stories? Are we evangelists? Are we disciple makers? Are we worshipers who worship the Father? in spirit, and in truth. The woman goes on and responds to Jesus and says this, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Now, I just put that at the top of your page. Sorry, I moved it as I did on you. Uh, I had a meeting yesterday with with a man uh, by the name of Daniel Decker. And Daniel... uh, has a business. It's called Jerusalem Eternal Tours, and he is from Israel. Uh, his American, his parents were Americans, moved to Israel as missionaries when he was a kid, uh, and he's been in Israel the rest of his life ever since then, and a believer, a follower of uh, Yeshua, HaMashiach, uh, Jesus the Messiah, and we say Jesus Christ like we would say um Claire Fuller, or Jim Cobertson, like it's a first name and a last name, and it is Jesus, there's the Spanish, uh, 
Messiah, Jesus the Messiah. Uh, and as Daniel was talking, and I was just reminding reminded yesterday about we have our ways here in the West of seeing things. But if you would go to Israel or if you'd go to some other places, you might realize and see some things differently. Uh, and understand that they say things differently. It, it isn't, it isn't uh, you know, uh, Jesus Messiah. They might say that, but uh, they would say things differently. They, they call him uh, the Messiah. And here we would say, verse 25, the woman said, I know that Messiah called not just Christ, but the Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. I am the one. I am the one. I am that Messiah. Uh, and Just at that point, it says the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. We talked about that yesterday in that culture. That was not something that they were to do, uh, talking to women, especially as Jesus was, especially a Jewish man talking to a Jewish woman, uh, was, was not necessarily viewed as such a great thing. So, as verse 27, no one asked, what do you want? Why are you talking with her, even though it was taboo? It says, then leaving her jar, the woman went back to the town. And notice how the conversation changed. The disciples came back, and she left the jar and went back to town. Now, she might have left the jar thinking, okay, they will get some water. Uh, she might have left the jar, just she forgot. She might have left the jar because she was excited. But it says, she went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. So just thinking about this woman and, and what she's doing, she is pointing people to uh, to Jesus. Very simply, and sometimes we think, well, I, I don't know how to point people to Jesus. She just met him. She hadn't had the chance to, to be baptized. She hadn't taken a confirmation class. She hadn't taken a membership class. No one gave her a Bible or any of those things. No, she simply knew what she knew about Jesus and went and told other people what she knew. Friends, that's all we got to do. That, that's evangelism, telling people what we know about Jesus. It's just absolutely incredible what she did. When we would be riveted with Jesus, when we would be drawn into Jesus and thinking about who he is and our encounter with him, that we would want to point other people to him. And uh, it, it, it's, it's in the comment section here. I can only imagine how she felt once she learned she was speaking to the Messiah. Yeah, what about us? We get to speak to the Messiah. Uh, I go back frequently to the day I trusted Christ. Uh, I go back to those songs. Some people think they're really dated songs, and it's really not great music. You know what? The music that makes, makes your heart sing, that is great music. And for me, it was 1970, late 70s, early 80s music. 
with the gospel message that got to my heart and it still gets to my heart today. I can tell you about Jesus. I can tell you how he knew me and how he loved me. I can tell you how he forgave me and how he accepted me. I can tell you how he made me a new creation. And that's what we need to be willing to speak to people is what we know. All she did was go back and tell others what she knew. In fact, in verse 29, it's still left somewhat as a question. Could this be the Christ? And and to learn, even in evangelism, sometimes it isn't making statements. It's asking questions. Sometimes our, our approach is, well, we're going to make the statement and, and really give it to them. Sometimes the best thing to do is give them a question that they now have to answer. Uh, I don't know if any of you watch uh, like Ben Shapiro or Jordan Peterson or some of those people of that intellectual ilk. I'm not saying whether I'm for for them necessarily. There's some things that are said that I really, really agree with. And sometimes I go, well, you're almost there, uh, but not quite. And some people get confused by that. But but you, you watch how in modern day, and they're not apologists, they're not evangelists, uh, but they're people in the debate circuit uh, and how they stop people in their tracks, not by confronting them, but by asking a question. And that's what this woman did here. Now, she she wasn't she hadn't been taught in apologetics. She hadn't been taught in evangelism. She just asked a question. Friends, there, there is power in questions when we're trying to talk to other people. So, yes, the question. I, I got to read some of the comments that are over here because there are there are uh, some comments in the se- in the comments section and during this live hour that I want to uh, to look at. So let me uh, turn my attention uh, uh, over there and read a few comments uh, that pertain to our conversation this morning. So, I mean, it was said uh, we can fully worship God if we know more about the truth of God's word. That is absolutely true. I I agree with that. I mean, we had some conversation last night. I mean, should I speak inspirationally? I could say all kinds of things to rouse a crowd, and and, and I can do that. But uh, I want to be faithful to the scriptures because uh, the scriptures will last forever. Uh, Emotions will, will come and go. So, yes, the truth of God's word. Uh, and I want to give a shout out here to a listener, uh, Terry Lewis. Uh, Terry, understanding that uh, you are departing from us uh, and moving away and just want you to know we've acknowledged that publicly uh, and we will miss you here in person if, if in fact, I've been informed correctly. So I just, I just want to tell you that uh, we, will, we will miss you in person if, if I've been informed. Uh, properly informed and just want to uh, wish you all God's very, very best for you. In fact, if you show up back here uh, at Veracity, we just need to stop and pray for you uh, in in your next and get get a little bit more of your story in your next endeavor. Uh, Last Friday's uh, Belfast area football game, one of our players got hurt, was taken by Amos to hospital. He's doing okay. Uh, My grandson, this is Nell, our Dear Sister Nell, speaking to us, my grandson Luke attends our church. He's a freshman on the football team. 
His teammate got injured. Luke asked the team to join him in prayer for their injured teammate. This is only one testimony of what God is doing in our church. 14-year-old leading his team in prayer at a public school event. So I would say a couple things. Uh, Give some kudos to, uh, to, to his parents, to his grandparents. Uh, Give some kudos to, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll take a little bit uh, to Jacob, uh, but also to the coach. Uh, uh, our dear brother, uh, Art Fairbrother is his name, pastor of Faith Temple in Belfast, and uh, grateful for him and what he is doing uh, in coaching there. I, I had done that many years ago. So um, great testimony. Appreciate that. Uh, Claire says, Daniel and Aaron watch Ben Shapiro. Uh, Walter had said, because uh, these are just some comments that, that uh, uh, I want us to, to hear. Uh, what a beautiful thing. When, when the light of the gospel dawns on a person's life, amen to that. Uh, replying to Nell, what Fran says, children learn what they live, a great face surrounding them, which is absolutely true. So uh, the impact, I mean, our kids... There was I shared something last week on Facebook that came from John Piper that was shared by my friend uh, Joel Littlefield, who grew up actually out in Liberty, now pastors a New City Church in Bath. But just basically, if we are engaged as parents in worship, our our kids see that. If if we're not engaged in worship, our, our kids. I mean, if we're kind of just kind of not really into it, yet we go to church. Our kids are not going to really be into it as well. Our kids need to see us. Kids, our grandkids need to see us engaged in our worship. We need to worship in spirit and truth first because God is worthy of that worship. But secondly, especially if we have kids and grandkids watching us, if they see our eyes closed, if they see our hands raised, uh, and not that you have to raise your hands, but if they see us fully engaged in worship, that will have an impact on them. Uh, when when they see us tolerating it, that also has an impact on them. We need to think about the impact on our kids. Now, let me go back over into uh, John chapter 4. The town came out. Uh, verse 30 says, they came out of the town, made their way toward him. Meanwhile, as the people are coming, it says, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have snuck him a burger? Oh, sorry, that's a paraphrase. Could someone have brought him some food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, he continues the statement, but I just want to stop there for just a moment and, and just comment on the fulfillment of uh, of being used by God. Uh, I have food to eat you not, know nothing about. And he says, my food is to do the will of God, to, to do the will of him who sent me. When we do the things that God has sent us to do, uh, there's a sense of fulfillment when we're walking with God, when we're working with God, when we're engaging with God, when, when we're being used by God. That sense of satisfaction. Uh, we're having a conversation on Sunday uh, at our church here uh, about uh, what we're going to do with Trunk or Treat. There are many questions uh, that we have that, I mean, should we do this? 
what can we honestly, realistically do um, this year? What what does what should it look like? Should we do it on Saturday or on Sunday or on Monday uh, this year? Uh, the holiday uh, that we are trying to redeem is on Monday. But should we do it on Saturday? The twenty, all kinds of questions, and, and how much can we do? Uh, we, we're kind of depleted, honestly, and uh, I'm just saying that. And if you're in a different church, and maybe you have the same situation, what do you do? You you have to evaluate, take stock, uh, weigh the cost, ask what you can do, uh, and um, uh, try to try to figure those types of things out. Uh, but there will be a meeting after church where we're going to, after the worship service on Sunday, where we're going to uh, to have some conversation about that. But my food, I mean, serving God together, taking the gospel out together. Um, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me. We are satisfied. Have you ever let God work in your life and you go away and you're just satisfied? It's like, God, thank you. It's so great to be used by you to live in that place where where we want God to uh, to be using us and to live in such a way that that serving God becomes sustenance to us, as Jesus says here in verse thirty four. My food says Jesus is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. Are we so in tune? with our calling and our spiritual responsibilities that we find satisfaction in in our service to Christ. Now, Jesus goes on in verse 35. I, I'm going to finish this, this segment today. Uh, do you not say four more months and then the harvest? I mean, they're, they're in the spring of the year looking to the fall of the year and say, hey, the harvest will come. Jesus says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows, another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of labor. Now I, I just want to Stop for a moment on this idea of hard work. Sometimes, and I'm maybe saying this more for myself, sometimes we think it's all going to come easy peasy. It's hard work. Uh, and and I'm, I'm being encouraged personally by these words. You know, you think it just rolls along and everything just goes humming right along. That, that isn't reality all the time. Uh, it's hard work. Uh, you just have to choose your heart. It, 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 it's hard and I've seen th- statements like this. Uh, it, it's hard to to be out of shape and, and overweight and not feel good. And it's hard to put in the work to be in shape and to feel good. Choose your heart. Same way with, with the church life sometimes. Sometimes things come very easy. And sometimes it's hard work. Jesus in this verse talks about the hard work. In verse 38, he says, Others have done the hard work. You know, sometimes the work is hard, and, and we evangelistically, sometimes it's hard, and, and you keep sharing and sharing and working and working, and you wonder, am I getting anywhere? You're doing that hard work, and yet at some point in time, someone else is able to reap that harvest. 
Friends, don't give up sowing. Don't give up working. Don't give up praying. Don't give up preaching. Don't give up giving. Don't give up serving. Don't give up evangelizing. Don't give up disciple making. Keep doing all of those things, and the benefit and the harvest will come in due time. There's a Jesus says there's a harvest now, and there's a harvest yet to come. Work at all of that. Be laborers in the harvest field. Verse 35, he said, open your eyes and look at the harvest fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Do we see the harvest all around us? Is my prayer that we do. Now, cutting back into the text, wrapping this segment up, says many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of what? The woman's testimony. God can use your testimony. And that her testimony was, he told me everything I ever did. Or our testimony might be, he forgave me of every sin I ever committed. But our testimony, many people believe because of the testimony. She she only knew what she knew. There, there was no Romans road because the book of Romans hadn't been written yet. Uh, there, there were Old Testament passages, but she might not, as a Samaritan woman, know any of those things. But what she knew was that she'd encountered Jesus. And what we need to be able to share is what we have encountered. You, you just teach what you know. What I know is he told me every, you know, told me everything I ever did. That's what I know. He told me he's Messiah. I believe in him. And and, and just you notice what it says. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the testimony. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed two days. And notice what it says. Because of his words, many more became believers. And friends, that needs to be our prayer. That needs to be our focus. That needs to be our work in that we share our testimony. We share what Christ has done. We we share the words of the gospel. We share all of those things with people. We, we share the teaching of Scripture. And our prayer is that many people become believers in Jesus. Verse 42 goes on and says, They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. After two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, and they had been there. So so the, the crowd, the following of Jesus is beginning to grow more and more people turning to him. Now, this will go on for a while. Then there's going to come a point in time down the road where people are going to stop from following him. In, in just a few chapters, we'll read about people uh, stopping following Jesus, they, they cease because they he's asking too much. And uh, Jesus turns around and, and says to his disciples, we'll get to this in John chapter 6, are you going to leave too? Well, friends, may we be encouraged evangelistically. May we be encouraged to, to share our testimony. May we be encouraged to share the gospel. May we be encouraged to how God might use us. May we be encouraged. Walter said, as a school nurse, I have a real burden for what kids have to deal with concerning 
the antichrist culture so that, that is so prevalent in schools, and it's all around us. And friends, it's going to get harder, I think. Christianity is no longer popular. And where it has been made popular, you look around at some of the tumbling of some of those pastors that have done like going shirtless to try to draw a crowd and being all cut and ripped and so on, eye candy for the women and appealing to that. That isn't God's work, friends. Uh, That pastor uh, is no longer in that large ministry up, I think it was in New York City. Um, God's work done God's way is what we need to do. Well, be encouraged. Be encouraged to be an evangelist. Be encouraged to share your story. Be encouraged that how Christ loves you. Be encouraged that, that you just need to share what you know and ask God to use it, and he will. Lord, help us to see the harvest field. Help us to work in the harvest field and to make you known wherever we can. And Lord, help us to learn how to do that skillfully, not by forcing things upon people, but by asking your spirit to guide our words and to guide our questions even that would cause people to think. Lord, the harvest is bountiful. Help us to do our part and help us to reap the harvest for the kingdom that you might be glorified and souls might be saved. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Well, friends, that is a wrap for today. I will see you again tomorrow. You all have a great day, everyone.